Hey guys, and welcome to today's episode. Today we speak to former Carlton player Nick Graham. Nick played 48 games for the Blues, kicking 11 goals. We'll talk about his time under Mick Moldhouse as well as his brief stint under Brendan Bolton, the social media abuse players face in the game, as well as him being the most dropped player in AFL history. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoy. Here we are, Nick Graham of the Carlton Football Club. 48 games, 11 goals, Morris medalist, 2012. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Thank you for obviously uh, inviting me to come on for a chat. It's always good to speak about the, the Blue Baggers. I, uh, I'm still a valid uh, watcher and listener of, uh, of most podcasts and things like that. So it's good to be involved. Good to have you. Um, 20, the 2012 Morris Medal. Um, yep. Some big names have, have gone and won that one. You had a great year going with that one. What's it like getting drafted with like, such a high honour under your belt? Uh, it was good. It probably helped my draft chances. I, I was a bit of a, a draft bolter as such. I um I wasn't a great junior. I was just there about. So come out in my under 18 year and had a, a really consistent, solid year. And obviously, take home that medal would have kind of increased my chances of getting drafted. Um, I, I spoke to a fair few clubs prior to to the draft, and to be honest, was oh, was under the impression I would go a little bit earlier. So I was a little bit nervous. Uh, when I did slide to around 50, went up going to pick 54 to Carlton. So um, it was a good honour and something I, I always cherish. We um, we had a pretty good year that year. We actually lost the Oakley Chargers in the grand final by Golden Point, um, which was a bit devastating. It still hurts me to this day, but um, yeah, it was a good honour, mate. It was um, it was nice to win and, and be a, uh, acknowledged for kind of a consistent season, I suppose. Golden Point, that's Jesus Christ. Mate, I played all right that day as well. So if we won, I reckon I could add a, uh, a Moorish medal, a best on a granny and a grand final medal. But um, unfortunately, we got done and Jackson McRae picked me uh, for the best on ground that day. So yeah, he, he kicked the winning point. We were two goals up with five to play and we dropped it. So it was yeah, a bit disappointing. That, that hurts. That'll, that'll sit with you for sure. So you walk into the Carlton Footy Club. Um, what's it like walking in? You've got the likes of Mark Murphy, Chris Judd, Bryce Gibbs. What's it like walking in with that kind of calibre of player when you're 18? Uh, it's it's overwhelming. Uh, you don't really know what to expect. I was I was parked over. Obviously, I, I grew up in Gippsland. I come across. Um, or they put me up. Sorry, in the in the vibe across the road. So that hotel across the road from Princess Park for the first week, and obviously walking over on your first day is pretty intimidating. That was when all the change were happening with Mick Mouldhouse and yeah. and things like that. So you don't really know what to expect. But the boys obviously make you fit in pretty well and and make you feel pretty comfortable early. I think the clubs have really improved in that kind of field um, even more now since since I got drafted. I think the first couple of weeks are so daunting, but with the amount of money that's gone to play welfare and development and things like that, then um, they they get it pretty right these days. Yeah, that's good. It's good they make that investment, I guess, now as we're moving forward. So, as you said, yeah, mix at the club. I mean, what's it like walking in 18 and Mick Mouldhouse settling, settling into the job? Well, I was a David of a story. My first day, we were doing some uh, some run-throughs and, and Mick was out there watching. It was me, Tom Tomain, Troy Menzel. was was uh, the draft class of 2012. Um, so we are doing some run-throughs and I think we had three sets of eight 80-metre run-throughs. Uh, I just come off a knee operation, so I wasn't moving too well, but um, got off the track, thought I was moving all right. Mick Mildes comes to me and goes, um, you didn't hit the line. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you cut short of the line. I go, oh, on what run through? And he goes, oh, on every one, you come about a foot short of line. He goes, we don't do that here, mate. If you do that, you'll be packed, pack your bags and get out the door as quick as you come here. So it was a bit daunting. But I think he was just trying to make his presence known and he was the big dog around the place. So um, just trying to make it uh, make it as intimidating as he could. 
Okay, Taiwan, that is that's that's a bit. So you make your debut versus Richmond, MCG. I think you came on as the sub. Um, yeah. obviously probably not the ideal way to do it in the vest, but what's it like? I mean, coming on the game, there's eighty thousand just going absolutely bonkers. Well, I used to bag for Richmond, so I was uh, it was a bit strange. Um, I was a mad, mad Richmond supporter growing up, and I was playing some good. I missed the first half of that year, and I was playing some really good VFL footy. Um, and finally got the call up, which was nice. Um, had the green vest on, which I was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty well, not used to at that stage, but got pretty used to it after that. I think my <laughs> eight of my first 10 games were in the vest, so it makes it pretty difficult. But obviously, coming on the last quarter in front of 85,000, we won that game as well, I think, by seven points. Um, yeah, it's a pretty surreal moment. Like, it's something I'll never ever forget. Um, getting my first kick, I turned it over, much like the rest of my career. But um, it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was a surreal moment having all the family there and 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 to see um, all the hard work that you've done as an eighteen-year-old finally kind of pay off. I suppose it, it was great. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Jumping in the back there too. That's the uh, that's the one planted on the wall, which is nice. Yeah. Nice, great stuff. You spoke about your VFL form. Um, we'll touch on it quickly. You dominated VFL level. Let's be frank about it. You average. Yep. 29 disposals in the VFL over your career, 32 in 2017, 31 in 2016. How, what was it? There was the jump like. So you'd go, you'd go to VFL and you'd always rip it apart. It'd always be 30 and four, 30 and four. What was, what was maybe stopping you from making that, that leap into the AFL level consistently? Uh, to be honest, it was probably consistency. I played 48 games of AFL and never played more than four games in a row. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of hard to really find your groove. It, it is a big jump. Um, but to be honest, I don't. If I'm being fully, honest, I don't think you can play as good as VFL footy I played without being able to make that transition. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose when I played VFL, I was like your your Paddy Cripps of the VFL, I suppose. Whatever <laughs> I kind of said went, and if I want to go in the middle, I go in the middle. Kind of ran my own show a little bit, and I'm a pure midfielder. I think everyone that watched me play understand that I'm a pure midfielder. And then obviously going up into the seniors, I'd, I'd play a lot of half forward flank, uh, and didn't get a lot of midfield minutes, which obviously. Didn't really suit my game too much. I tried to adapt as much as I could playing AFL to suit that half-forward flank role. But at the end of the day, I got drafted as a midfielder and I probably just didn't get a consistent amount of game time in the midfield, which probably hurt me. Um, and that's why I probably struggled to really make that transition. And in the back of my mind, as much as I wanted to play AFL and wanted to change my game, it just playing as a, a half-forward flanker, it just, it just didn't get the best out of me. So um, I do believe if, if I did get some more consistent footy in the AFL, um, playing midfield, then my career might have panned out a little bit differently. I remember when Johnny Barker came in, I think he played me four or five games um, in the middle of a row, then I'm getting injured, but I was really starting to string, string some good games of footy together. Um, alongside Crippy, he was pretty young then, but obviously getting injured, then Bolts come in, the dynamic changed a little bit, which probably hurt my career. Yeah, half forward flag's a bit of a, a dead spot as well. I mean, the ball can either go over your head or... You need to be quick, mate. Everyone knows I'm not too quick. So <laughs> I, wasn't, uh, I wasn't chasing people down or getting to drop a ball or anything like that. I had some decent games, but it was probably one out of the blue. Um, yeah, some more midfield minutes would have been nice, but it is what it is. Yeah, I think so. Did you find it odd at that time? Obviously, the club's probably going through a bit of a rebuild phase. A lot of youth getting played. Did you find it odd that maybe you weren't getting the midfield minutes? Obviously, I think when you say, like, Juddy's still there, Gibbs, Murphy, Cripper. So it's a heavy midfield. Did you find that odd that you weren't getting midfield minutes at that stage in the club's development? To be honest, uh, um, when I when I first got there, Mick Mick was trying to hang on to his career. Obviously, we made finals that first year, and I was pretty young, and 
uh, and played a couple of games, which was nice. And then the heat really started to turn on the club when the performance wasn't there. Uh, and Mick, I think, was really trying to hang on to his coaching career to hit that the AFL Games coach kind of record. And I think when he was there, he was really big on probably more playing the older guy because he wanted the wins under his belt to try and hang on. And then obviously all that debacle went down and, and he left the club and, and I didn't really see eye to eye with Mick too well, to be honest. Um, and then Bolt's come in and by the time Bolt's come in, I was in my fourth year. So I wasn't really in that that young bracket anymore. When we started to get Sam, Sam Petrescu, Seaton, Zach Fisher, and I was kind of pushed out into the old bracket. So timing's everything in footy and I think my timing yeah, wasn't yeah. great. But um, in saying that, I still had every chance to to succeed and, and I don't uh, hold a grudge on the club whatsoever. I love my six years there and, and we'll do it all again in a heartbeat. Yeah, that's, a, that's an awesome attitude, mate. Um, touching on Mick, um, I saw a tweet that you had from a while back. I did a bit of Twitter stalking and you um, you mentioned a little underline that after your 10th game, Mick told you you would be pulling the jumper on again. Yeah. What's the story behind that one? Uh, I think I, there's a few good stories with Mick. Um, I don't think he really... I, I come up into into the city with the bleach blonde hair and and a, and probably pretty happy with myself at that time. Uh, and I don't think Mick liked that too much. Um, yeah, I was I was playing against Sydney at the SCG and come on as a sub and it was after the game and he goes, how do you think how do you think you went today? And I said, oh, I thought I went all right. And he slammed, the, slammed his hand on the table and goes, all right. He goes, my, my brother could play all right AFL footy. He goes, if you ever dish up another performance like that ever again, you'll never pull another carbon jumper. And that was in front of everyone in the team meeting. So it was pretty brutal. I've got some good stories about Mick and, and obviously some of the uh, some of the comments that he's made along the journey. But um, yeah, I, I'm yeah, I'll, I'll probably try and leave it at that. I don't yeah. see eye to eye well. I don't really agree with his principles of coaching um, and the way he went about it. He probably set the club back, I believe, probably five or six years. So um, very ego driven man, Mick. Yeah, I think I don't think you'd be the only player in that that year space that I think would have yeah. those those thoughts about Mick. He was great. I, I he was great when he seemed to be coming into the club. I think everyone was a bit excited, but yeah, I don't think it exactly worked out the way. And I don't want to take away from anything that he's done. Don't get me wrong; yeah. he's an AFL um, sensational coach, obviously over a long period of time. But I think when he got to Carlton, I don't know if he was there for the right reasons, um, yeah. and I think that probably betrayed him amongst a group and hence why probably had a few people offside um, and I think that probably transferred into our performance as well because if you don't think the coach is there for the right reasons it's hard to back him in and, and play for someone yeah exactly right I think you can tell the difference when John Barker came in as well because for that small thing he did you could you could immediately see a change and then obviously Bolts comes in and he had he had a decent impact on the list we ha- they have now um a stat I saw about yourself that I'm not sure if it's true. I couldn't verify it, but is it true that you have been dropped more than any other player in AFL history? I am. I'm the most dropped player ever. So out of 48 games, I got dropped 22 times, which is nice. Nice little stat. Um, <laughs> so yeah, good little token that I've got under my belt at the moment. Yeah, the most dropped player in AFL history. I think Buick. Uh, I can't. I don't know his first. Is it Richard Buick or someone Buick? Someone Buick from Brisbane. Yeah. From Brisbane, he was yeah. uh, he was just ahead of me, and I think I pipped him when I got dropped a couple of times in my last year. Um, so yeah, that's a it's a it's a record that I don't mind having. It's a good conversation starter at a party with clients, <laughs> in a new workplace. But um, apart from that, it's yeah, it's a bit of a laugh. I don't mind it. 
Do you keep track of anyone who might be about to take over your record? I feel sorry for there, someone if they are close because 22 times is a lot of times to be going from AFL to senior, uh, to reserves. But I, I haven't looked it up for a long time. I know there's a couple of guys on maybe 15, 16. But, yeah, 22 is a lot. So they've still got a fair way to go. That is. That's a bit of, that's a lot of times. We'll move on to Bolts. Um, yep. He... Come, he came in and he, he probably had, I reckon, one of the toughest jobs any coach has had over the last decade. He really did have to build the list back down before building it up. How, yep. how was he for, for you? Obviously, you said that when he came in, probably wasn't ideal timing for you. But how did you find Bolts in your time there? Uh, Bolts, I found Bolts a really good teacher. So he, he could teach the game to kids really well. I think he got so emotionally, as you probably see on the TV, he got so emotional... Uh, watching the game, I think that probably clouded his vision a little bit from what was actually really going on. Um, he got very worked up um, in terms of, of coaching and, and I think that, yeah, kind of clouded what was actually happening. Very defensive-minded coach, which which is fine. Obviously, I think all supporters saw that as well. With such a long, young list, you ought to teach him how to defend before you can attack. Yeah. Um, he did have a tough job. I do feel sorry for Bolts, um, the way it all transpired. I, I had a pretty good relationship with Bolts. Some things... Uh, when he come in, I didn't really agree with in terms of, um, I think you've got to, when you're coaching, if you've got to, you've got to give the guys who are working the hardest the most opportunity. And at times um, when he come in, I think, not playing favourites, but I think if guys weren't working as hard, but they had more natural ability, then they'll get more of a chance than the guys with not much natural ability, but will be working their ass off. Yeah, I think for guys like me, um, at that time, it probably... I was really clocked out of footy because I just knew that I could work as hard as I wanted uh, and I probably wasn't going to get the same opportunities as other guys and it's pretty hard to rock up every day and, and keep putting in 100%, 100%, 100%, knowing that there's probably someone who's putting in 50% and it's going to get more opportunity than me. Yeah. So I think that that was difficult and he had a really difficult um, kind of time, Bolts, because he needed to play the guys who were probably going to take the club for, but then there were guys like myself who were working really hard and... He had to juggle that. So I do feel sorry for him. He's in a tough position. Um, but like I said, I had a really good relationship with Bolts. He dropped me a fair few times. We had some really honest conversations a couple of times. Obviously, wasn't happy about it and let him know. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, he, he, he's got to get set the club up for success. And I think doing what he did has probably got the club the position they are now. Yeah. Um, in terms of developing those kids. Look at folks like Zach Fisher. They've got 50 games under their belt now. So although I'm saying... A, it was a bit unfair on me that the club wouldn't be in the position they are now without doing that. So, yeah, it's it definitely was a tough one, and it is one of those ones where you probably the youth do say like youth do get games that maybe they haven't earned the hard way. But yeah, as you said, you you got to find a way to get games into them. Um, you mentioned that you kind of clocked out of footy towards the end. There was that is that hard to like it's something you've loved since you can remember, and then it turns yep. into something that yeah you, you're not really enjoying. Yeah, Eddie cope with something like that. It is, it is a bit strange, to be honest. Like, ever since I was six, all I want to do is play AFL footy. And I remember uh, Andrew McKay come out, he was the GM of footy, in my first three years and said, this kid's probably one of the hardest working kids I've ever seen, apart from, like, Chris Judd's obviously up here in terms of work ethic. This kid, Nick Graham's not far behind him. And that always resonated with me. One thing I always want to do was I wasn't the most naturally gifted player, so I wanted to give it my all. Um, but then when Bolts come in and, and, and I could see the see the end game of what was really happening. Like, I, I knew I wasn't a long-term player for the club. It was really difficult. I used to be first in, last to leave and do massive hours, making sure my body was right. 
And to be honest, by my last year, I was probably last in the first to leave because I just knew that I can do these extra Pilates, I can do these extra running sessions, I can do the extra vision, I can get the extra massage, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to get the extra game. So um, I was really clocked out and probably emotionally, um, how do I put it? I wasn't in a great headspace when I left, um, just due to kind of, I, I went through a fair bit of stuff throughout my career. I obviously didn't have a great relationship with Mick and, and we butted heads and then obviously going in and out of the senior side a lot of times. And I remember the, the game that really set me off and even my fiance would tell you, um, la, my last season, I think I had 28 touches, 15 contested against Melbourne. We got done by hundred points. Um, yeah, and I was looking off the ground and I thought that's, that's, that's my breakout game. Like, yes, we lost, but I spent some time in midfield on my way here and then got the tap on the shoulder on the Thursday and got told I was getting dropped. So after that, I could really see the writing on the wall and and it was really hard to get my motivation levels back after something like that. That's probably the game that really set me over the edge and thought, is this really what I want to keep doing and putting myself through this and and keep kind of getting myself up mentally, just get knocked down all the time. Um, After that, I I probably clocked out a little bit and um, didn't take footy as seriously. Still had a great time still enjoy beer and things like that with the boys. But in terms of putting in the extra hours, probably, yeah, just turn a blind eye to that side of it. Yeah, no, that, that's fair enough. Like you can, It's definitely something high stress that can knock you down and it is hard to keep putting yourself up there. So when you, when you did eventually have the chat with Bolts and he tells you that this is the end of the road, what what's, what's that like? Like, I don't think we don't see too much of that on the outside here of that one-on-one or two-on-one kind of exit meeting but what's that like when you do here was it a relief for you at the stage you were at or was is it still like does it still kind of break your heart in that moment uh it was still it was still a pretty emotional moment to be honest my last three years of my contract i was on a one-year contract or last four years i was on one-year contracts and the last four years i got told so the season obviously finishes for us at the start of september prior to finals we weren't playing finals and i was in that bracket where you got told to wait until after the trade period which is october 15th so I did that for four years. So there's six weeks there where you're expected to train, you're expected to keep your body in pristine position, but you have no idea what's going to happen. And for probably the first three years, I, I knew the first couple of years I was probably going to get a contract because I was still playing really, really well footy, really good footy in the VFL, as you just said. The last year I thought I was in a bit of strife, um, but I think they kept me on the list just because I was probably a really well-liked team member and well-liked around the club. People liked spending time with me and they pretty much told me that. We're going to keep you on for another year just because we enjoy having you around, which was nice. In the last year, I I could really see the writing on the wall. I didn't think I was going to get another contract. And although I knew that was going to happen, obviously when you get told that, it's pretty heartbreaking. But like you said, I I moved on pretty quickly. I was pretty clocked out by footy. I, um, I was pretty smart with what I was doing off the field in terms of set myself up because in those four years I, I was always on on edge so um was lucky enough to jump into another career which i'm really enjoying now and, and to be honest i'm not saying this out of spite but i look back and i really don't miss footy at all i'm, yeah. I'm happy big behind a screen and i'm a valid and die-hard current supporter but if someone comes to me tomorrow and said would you come back and play I, I, there's not a chance in hell i would i'll take a contract so i'm, I'm really enjoying my time out of footy um but those four years where yeah, you train your ass off for six weeks, not knowing what's going on, getting calls from your manager, asking what's going on. He couldn't even tell you. It's it's, it's pretty hard to get through mentally. So yeah. it's pretty mental training at the end of it. Yeah. Is that, when, when you're asked to wait for that trade period, are you thinking I might be traded? I might be delisted? Like, is there any indication for the club where they're sitting with you or is it really just going to the dark? 
not at all. To be honest, it's probably one area that the clubs, they don't want to give too much away, but it's one area that really plays on people's mind because you're just mm. in the dark. Literally, as a player, you have no idea what they're thinking. You have no idea what might happen. I didn't think I was going to get traded. I just didn't think that was... I might have got thrown into steak knives on a on a yeah. deal or something like that, but they literally tell you nothing, mate. It's literally... You go have your end-of-year season interview. We don't know what's going to happen. We've got to wait and see what the numbers are like after trade period, who we get in, who goes out. Once we know our numbers and the, the where we're going to look with the kind of numbers on the list, then we'll make a decision. And so pretty much going through trade period, you're trying to weigh up how many blokes have been delisted, how many <laughs> blokes they've brought, how many draft picks they've got, and you're doing all this math in your head. And yeah, it's pretty tiring, mate. So it's pretty full on. Yeah, I can imagine. I can't, I can't be good doing all that stuff. Um, so then, obviously, yeah, you got the cut from the Blues, unfortunately. Did you, was there any indication, like you said, you're pretty happy um, now that you're out, but was that immediate indication where you, did you make contact with other clubs? Did any clubs reach out to you in the immediate aftermath? Uh, I tried to reach out to, like, to be honest, like the Gold Coast Suns and clubs like that, um, trying to get a rookie list spot, but there wasn't many takers. To be honest, if I had my time again, I had a little bit of interest after my first two years at Carlton. Um, I was in and out of the side a lot and I had a bit of interest from some other clubs and if I probably knew how my career was going to pan out, I, I probably would have jumped elsewhere just to get some more opportunity. But yeah. that's fine. So after that, I had a little bit of like discussion here and there, but nothing ever rock solid where I thought I'm actually going to make a move and, and, and head somewhere else. And if I was going to get a... Carl will keep me on for one year anyway, and I'd, I'd probably rather stay at the Blues than go somewhere else. Like I said, I, I absolutely love the club and I love the boys and I love yeah. being involved in the club. It was just probably the the politics behind selection and the politics behind the scenes, which which probably drove me a little bit nuts towards the end of my career. Yeah, and you spoke about those, those politics and the fact that, you know, it came with Mick and Bolts. Do you think yeah. that's something that maybe set is why the club is in was in this kind of nothingness period the fact that maybe we, they weren't looking at black and white as selection points were they was it too political for too long i think we bolted like they, they had the right agenda in place in terms of getting games into use so there was some politics there but i think that was that was the correct way to go about it at that time yeah. with mick like i listened to mick speak now and i was I actually heard him on the SCN the other week and he was saying that Every time a player was dropped, he would, he would go down there and speak to them personally and, and tell them why. And, and to be honest, it's just a load of shit. Like sometimes I had to literally sit there and watch the footy show on a Thursday night to understand if I was getting a game or not. So little, little things like that, which which I hear. And, and I think the politics when Mick was there um, and the agendas that were in place at that time in the club with the high-profile people that were there really, really set the club back. Um, yeah. In terms of the politics when Bolts was there, I think... There wasn't too many politics. They had a they had an agenda to play youth and get games into youth, which I completely agree with. And I was just on the wrong end of that because I was yeah. I was my, the, my time at the club was coming to an end. Um, so I just wanted to be the best teammate I could and try and support these young guys as much as I could. But I think not 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 so much Bolts's period. I think Bolts' period has kind of set us up to where we are now. Yeah, mixed period. I reckon set the club back five five years easily. Yeah, I think. I think Mick at the minute is probably, I guess I saw his comments, was it yesterday uh, about Robbie Neu, which just seemed a bit out of touch as well. So I think Mick's probably, I think what a lot of what you're saying about Mick and what a lot of Carlton people tend to say about that period is starting to come a bit more to the fore. Um, yeah. 
as he kind of as he goes on at the minute. Um, the thing that frustrates me about that as well, because he, he people like that can really come out and say anything they want. They're in the media all the time, so people will listen, and that's what they think's yeah. actually true. But yeah, I, folks like myself who you don't really hear from, or other blokes who were in my position that I played with um, have a completely different side of the story of what was going on at the club at that time. Yeah. Um, if, you, if the media dove a little bit deeper into into some of the stuff that was transpiring, it was all, obviously, it was all above board, but in terms of what Mick was actually doing in terms of trying to coach and, and things like that, I think you'd get a completely different story. Yeah. Um, so, going to touch on a few individual blokes here just quickly. Um, because I think the Carlton Football Club at that stage and even now, um, such a highly revered uh, football organisation. But I think at those years, it was kind of like the lost years for the Blues. I think a bit of a disconnection between fans and players and the club. So I'm going to drop a few names. I just want you to give me your thoughts on them. I think one, Ed Kerno comes up. Yep. He's a weird man, Ed. Yeah. Ed, is a, Ed is, he cops a bit of heat from supporters. He's one of the best clubman I've ever seen in my life. So he probably doesn't get the acknowledgement he deserves from Carlton people. Um, without Ed Kerno at our footy club over the last eight years, I think we'd be a lot worse off yeah. than where we are right now. Yeah, I think I think his, his footy seems to get better every year at the minute, Ed. I mean, yeah. I, I remember when he when he came in, he was you saw him, he was like obviously in a pretty good midfield at that time. And he yeah. was like, oh, okay, can't kick the footy that well, doesn't do a lot of the Good looking stuff, but I think his kicking's got a lot better, and he just is oh, he's unreal. His ability to shut blokes out of the game as well, huge the stuff he does that people don't see as well. Like new guys in the club, he'll have them at his house two nights a week for dinner. Um, he'll take guys for extra training if he needs, if they need it. He'll witness or he'll um, acknowledge when guys aren't working hard enough, give them a bit of like it's the stuff that probably supporters don't see around the club, yeah. which probably get enough acknowledgement why he doesn't get enough acknowledgement sorry of what he actually does he's he's one of the best clubmen like I said I've ever seen one of the best blokes he's an absolute like he won't go down as a superstar for the Carlton Footy Club but he's been there for through some hard times and yeah he's an attitude and persona towards the club's been first class yeah it, it might be unfortunate that Ed's legacy might be that he's Charlie's brother which I think he's <laughs> so uh, cool for uh, a bloke that might play 250 games but his finger out of his ass as well hopefully yeah, fingers, fingers crossed. He's got all the potential in the world. Um, another one, probably not so unknown at the moment, Daniel Gorringe. Yeah, because <laughs> um, Goz was shit at footy. Um, he was <laughs> not player whatsoever. And I think the same thing that happened. He he went through, um, obviously, the, the highs and lows of being a high draft pick and probably mm. didn't perform to where he wanted to and, and come to Carbon with full of hope. But when you're playing development footy, which is underneath, uh, <laughs> underneath footy, it's never a good sign. So I get along with guys very well. I think he's found his groove now of what he's doing. Yeah. Um, in terms of in terms of football ability, I think he was pretty clocked out when he came to the Blues, and, and it probably showed in his performance. But he's a, he's an absolutely great man. Uh, he's a mad cult supporter as well. Um, we sit there and have a few beers and watch the footy every week when we can. Obviously, yeah. we're not in lockdown, and, and it's quite funny. We um. Yeah, it's good fun. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Do you guys ever sit there and compare, say, Rocket and Mick and be like, oh, all right, who had it, who had it tougher? Mate, if you get him on here, I reckon um, if you get us both on at the same time, I reckon we could tell some good stories of Rocket and Mick and, and some of the sprays we've copped over the time. Um, oh, we'll have to, we'll have to. 
he doesn't uh, he doesn't get along with Rocker too well, and I don't, yeah. obviously don't have a lot of time for Mick, so I think it would be good viewing. Yeah, no, nah, we'll have to we'll have to organise that for sure. Then we'll touch on the social media stuff that's going on at the minute. Obviously, I think since we first messaged to now, it's seemingly taken off. I mean, the Victoria Police have got involved, thankfully, and it's getting called out almost every time now. But I want to talk to you about it because obviously you would drop quite a lot as we've touched on. So you were in and out, you know, not playing super footy for whatever reason. Did you find yourself on the end of a bit of bit of hate from the Carlton fans in that time? Oh yeah, weekly, um, weekly. I and the thing that probably frustrates, like I, I'm obviously pretty vocal on social media now as well. And there is a time and place for fans to have their say, and um, and you do get very frustrated as a viewer. Even I get frustrated as a viewer now. But I think when you getting personal and you're sending mm. personal attacks. I think you'd have an overall view of the game. Um, but when you're really getting personal and to the stage, we're actually sending people direct messages. I think that's just a huge no-no. And I've heard people in the media, uh, I think Matthew Lloyd said it, maybe even Kane Corn said it, like, just don't look at your phone. It's, it's just, that's not the answer. No. And that's not the answer. Not going to be the answer moving forward. Um, our society live on their phones and to say don't look at your phones I think is a very immature response. Um, it's a massive issue. It's a huge issue. Um, I copped it huge. Uh, I had people messaging my family, uh, people messaging my mum saying that they should be ashamed that I'm their son. Um, so it is it's a big issue and it's been an issue for a long time. And I don't think it's probably until something happens to an AFL player uh, who might be suffering from depression or mental yeah. health issues and actually kick people into gear. Um, you're never going to cancel it out. You're never going to stop it. And like I said, people have every right to have their opinion and voice their opinion like I do on social media, like everyone else does. But when you're getting personal and sending personal attacking messages to people, it's just simply not good enough. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. Putting the phone away isn't going to work because... I mean, especially if you look at 18 to 21 year olds, like they're all seek, some of them will seek that validation of a performance as well. So yeah. it's definitely not the answer. Um, did you, did the club know about this stuff? Like, obviously, they'd be aware that this is happening to everyone, but, you know, did you ever go to the club and say, hey, look, this is going on? And is there any practices put in, or do you think there will be now practices put in to deal with this kind of stuff more, even more? Not at the time, because I think at the time you didn't want to. I'd like you didn't want the club to probably identify a weakness in yourself, which I yeah. know sounds sounds bad, but like going to the club and saying I'm getting these threats on, well, not threats, but comments on social media, I probably just didn't. I wouldn't really know how to approach that. And yeah. don't get me wrong, I, I didn't look too much into it. I'm pretty level-headed and, and thick-skinned. I copped it from day one. I'd um, I rocked into the AFA with with bleach blonde hair, so I was always <laughs> going to uh, I was always going to cop a little bit. But like I said, I, I could kind of work through that, but. Um, if someone who maybe struggles from mental health issues who can't, then I would highly recommend them reaching out. And I, there wasn't really any protocols in place from the AFL. We really go through, we do go through some media training and things like that, but that's more around what we put on social media, not yep. really around how we deal with what people say to us on social media. And there has been a couple of instances, I remember Brock McLean of, of, of biting back and, and then the AFL player gets, gets hammered for it. Yeah. Which I, there's a time and a place, and don't get me wrong, they probably shouldn't say it, but when you're getting, like, I'll come off the ground and in some instances and have 25 direct messages from supporters um, just absolutely going to town on you. And then if you say one thing back, then you get slapped with 5,000 the fine, which I don't agree with, but it yeah. is what it is. But I think moving forward, there, there will be some parameters put in place, or there has to be, to, to more protect players from that kind of criticism. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I think with the players calling out, hopefully that takes a step in the right direction. But I guess, as you said, it's going to be something that probably can't be completely stamped out. It might be something the AFL have to work with, whether it's you know police forces across the country a bit more. And, I think it's a good move at the moment, like these things gain traction. And like I said, you don't want to take away from people having a voice about the game. And, and I've been pretty vocal about umpires and things like that later when I think about that piece of the game. So I don't want people to obviously, the, the fans being um, vocal and the fans having a say, and they, they, they make up obviously a huge part of our game, but it's yeah. more around personal attacks. Like if you're going out of your way to message a player personally and, and threaten them or, or message a, a family member of a player, yeah. um, which happened to me in a few instances. Like oh, that's that's just a little bit too far for mine. Yeah, I think I think like obviously messaging the players too far. Messaging families just because the families wear it more than the players. We hear a lot of the time. Um, well, that's right. Like, my mum would um like I I would try not to look at it. Don't get me wrong. You can't you can't not look at it sometimes. Um, but my mum would get more upset than I would about it. Yeah. Um, like it's just it's the flowing effect. It's not just doesn't just affect the player. It's it's the flowing effect and the family members that also get affected by it too. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you touched on how vocal you are over social media, and I'm not sure if you remember it, but I remember seeing a while ago he tweeted something out about Kane Corns, and he yep. happily replied um, asking you to change your DP from. Yep. <laughs> I mean, what like. What do you what do you think when that when that comes through? Kane Corns just pops at the DP of a forty eight gamer. I mean, how do you... <laughs> um, I, to be honest, I, I don't mind listening to Kane, but sometimes I just think he says and things that stir the pot. Yeah. Um, and and he does get a little bit frustrating at times. But those people are in the media for a reason. Um, yeah. They're good to listen to and they create obviously talking points. The first thing that happened, I sent it. I'm not as witty as as. Daniel going to Jill Buckley and I'm in a bit of group message to them. So I'll send it through to them and said, what can my comeback be? Uh, and there were some things spitballed around which probably weren't Twitter appropriate uh, about firefighting and things like that. So um, I just let, decided to let that one through to the keeper uh, and just cop it on the chin and, and move on instead of creating a bit of a Twitter wall with uh, with Kane. Yeah, I, I was saying, I, I, I feel like I'm mad. I thought, what, are you, what are you doing here, Kane? Let, let, let the man have his DP, who cares? Yeah, I, I didn't mind that photo either. I thought the pipes looked all right. <laughs> so I've just been delisted and most drop player ever in history. I can't even have a photo of myself up as in a Carlton jumper. It's a bit sad, isn't it? Yeah, I think I said this at the time. If I played one game for any football club ever, anywhere, that's, that'd be all my photos. Throwback <laughs> Thursdays of me in that game. Like there's, yeah. can't, be, can't be taking that away. Um, you, you mentioned Dill Buckley. Obviously, the man's making moves in the media world at the minute. Um, yep. has, he, has his head gotten a little bit out of control? No, nah, his head's always been pretty large. He's always a he's always a life of the party and the life of the locker rooms. Um, he he's, he's he's always had that knack um, and kind of thought process. That he wanted to get into that line of work, and he's got the perfect personality for it. Him and Goals are like I said, are very witty men um, and always good to be around. So. I think, like I said, it's good to see people leave AFL and, and not get lost in the clouds a little bit and really find their groove. And I think he's found that as well as obviously Goz being on Big Brother. Um, I think he's found that now. And, and I think this is just the start of what you'll see from Dill. He's a, he's a very switched on young man. He's a very funny young man, but he's also very driven. So, um, yeah, you'll be seeing him on the screens for a fair, fair while, I would have thought, which is good for everyone. He's a funny man. Yeah, and no, we'll, we'll be good to see more content from his end. Um, so... We'll wrap it up soon, but we'll touch on your your life after footy. What are, what are you doing now, mate? 
Uh, I'm operations manager of a building company, um, so an insurance builder. I met the CEO uh, there, so it's John's Ling Group. They're a major sponsor of the footy club. Um, so when I was playing footy, I met the CEO at a, a networking event and, and got to know him on a personal level and did some work experience while I was playing footy one day a week for, for a couple of years. And um, once footy was all said and done, moved straight into a role there and, and kind of progressed up the ranks, which is nice. So something I'm really enjoying, obviously pretty busy with all the bushfires in Victoria yeah. at the start of the year and then the hailstorms um, that soon followed. So still cleaning up a bit of that, but... It's good, mate. It's nice that I was uh, able to find something I really enjoy doing. And, and I, I was a chippy by trade and, and looking at my builder's license anyway. So I was always a bit of a passion outside of footy um, while I was playing footy. That's good to hear. And are, are you playing any local level football? Obviously not this year, but over the last few years, have you played any footy at any level? Yeah, I played for... So I actually played with Heath Scotland last year at the Dali Devils. So that's in the Ballarat Footy League. My brothers played out there. Um, and it was good to have a kick with with those two. Um, and he's got them as the coach. So I was helped set a relationship with him while he's at Carlton. Um, I live in Footscray in Melbourne and um, and all my mates play the West Footscray. Roosters just around the corner. I just want to take a bit of a step back from footy. Still last year was was a bit full on. Um, yeah. And I, I just, yeah, like I said, when I was left footy, I was really clocked out. So I just want to have a bit of a bit of fun. And the team that I'm playing for now, I'm actual co-coach of the Roosters, or we were meant to be this year, um, is Div 2. We train one night a week. It's it's literally just getting there, having a bit of a community with your mates, going home and having a beer after the game, which is nice. So I did that last year, but I have heard some murmurs that the, the Northern Bull Ants might be making a bit of a push to, um, to come back to the V-Fail. So if uh, if that went through, I'll, to be honest, I'd seriously consider maybe getting my body in some good enough condition again and and seeing if any of the boys, Christian Jacks, Daniel Gorin, Dill Buckley, want to join me and, and go down for a year, I think that would be pretty fun. Down at Preston City Oval and just do it all again. Yeah, I don't mind Preston City Oval. Maybe, I think I averaged about 35 there, so it was good. <laughs> what was the, was the ground like in good nick or was it just mud and inside mid suited? It's, it's, it's all right, Nick. Uh, in the middle of winter, it gets really sluggish in the middle, um, just due to the, the cricket pitches there. But it was just yeah. a really small ground, and I don't like running too much. So, um, contested footy, and I don't know, I just, I just always seem to, uh, to get on the end of a few there and play pretty well. So, I, uh, I love it down there at the Ants. It's, um, it's good fun. And Josh Fraser, who was a coach I've got a really good relationship with, and I think he could really empathise with me and for me at the end of my career and and really understood what I was going through at the time and, and was probably there for me more than anyone else. So um, if he was coaching down there, I would, I would love to play under him again. It's been a pleasure chatting, mate. That's fine, mate. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate it.